It's really quite by accident that the text today has to do with a military man. But it's very fitting, given as we've already referred to, that tomorrow is Memorial Day. Memorial Day always uh, makes me a little sad and somber uh, for several reasons. One is it just brings to mind uh, that we as people have not yet learned to live in peace with one another. But also then the fact that so many of uh, family and friends have been called to go during those very uh, difficult times to uh, defend our nation and to provide a way of life where we can at least live in peace and safety here. And we are thankful to them for that. Today we're going to read about a good soldier, uh, a man that set the standard in many ways. This comes from Luke chapter 7. It follows immediately after Jesus had uh, selected his 12 apostles and then preached what Matthew calls the Sermon on the Mount. uh, Luke really calls it more the Sermon on the Plain. But uh, let's be standing, please, as we hear this, the Word of God. Luke chapter 7. After Jesus had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. A centurion there had a slave whom he valued highly and who was ill and close to death. When he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him asking him to come and heal his slave. When they came to Jesus, they appealed to him earnestly, saying, He is worthy of having you do this for him, for he loves our people, and it is he who built our synagogue for us. And Jesus went with them, but when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself. For I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you. But only speak the word and let my servant be healed. For I also am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this. And the slave does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. May God bless the reading of his word. I think all of us have difficult people in our lives, people that we just have trouble kind of being around. It can be because maybe we know that they don't particularly like us, or maybe they've done something that hurts our feelings, or it could be they just rub us the wrong way and we don't really like them much. And so when we have to be around them, it can be a problem, and especially when you have to be nice to them, you know. Now, I know most of you manage that with mercy and grace and are able to get through those situations, and that's hard whenever you have to be pleasant. But then again, it's even harder when you, someone, you hear someone say something nice about that person. You know, it's like, ooh, you know, I don't like that person. Why do you like that person? And, and then 
To make matters worse, when you find out that that person has done something really good and everybody's talking about it, and it's like, oh. Well, if you've ever experienced that in your life, then this story may be for you because there's a lot of that going on in this story. I love this story because it is so real, and I left my Bible right over there, and it touches on so many human emotions, and it really sort of searches us out and grabs us and asks us to think about some things. It's a story of Jesus' encounter with a centurion, even though the two never do meet in the story, do they? Now, a centurion at that time was not necessarily one of the most liked people in a community. Usually, he was very much disliked because he was in charge of, of, of some troops that oftentimes were local people, but he himself was a Roman citizen, so he was kind of an outsider. The centurions were Gentiles living in Jewish land, and therefore you know what the Jewish people at that time thought about the Gentile people, and so that caused some problems as well. And usually the centurions were pretty well off uh, because of the position that they had. And the centurion we're talking about today was living up there in Galilee in a very poor area. And so you know how it is sometimes when you're kind of the wealthy guy around and how other people might feel about you too. But there's a lot of good things about this centurion. First of all, we find out that he has a servant who is sick, and this man really cares about this servant. He cares enough about him that he's doing everything that he can to get the man well because it seems like he is near death. And when he hears about Jesus, when the centurion hears about Jesus, and we don't know what he heard about him, but probably at least that, that Jesus was someone who, was, who had been going about and healing people, he called for the Jewish authorities to come to him. Now, these are the religious authorities. And he said, you go and ask this guy to come and help me. Now, this is one of those situations we were just talking about. Because, you see, the Jewish authorities didn't like to have a lot of dealings, first of all, with Gentiles like the centurion was. Although this centurion was a little bit different. But especially, they didn't want to go ask Jesus for anything. Because they were the official religious people of the day. And Jesus was this kind of upstart, backwoodsy guy, no training, you know, no seminary, no ordination, no license to preach. And here he is out here preaching and teaching and causing all this great stir in the land. Thousands of people had just come and listened to his sermon. Thousands of people didn't come listen to my sermon, I mean to these guys' sermons, you know? So a little bit of jealousy there and that really puts them in a spot. Centurion says, I want you to go and ask this guy to come and help me. So they do. They do because, after all, this centurion is a little different from the rest of them. Now, notice whenever they go and talk to Jesus, they are respectful of the centurion in a way, but it's almost a backhanded respectfulness. Because here's what they say to Jesus. They say, you know, Jesus, I know this guy's a Gentile, he's a centurion, but, but he's different. He's not like the rest of them. 
He's a nice guy. And by the way, we kind of have to be here because he is the one who gave us the money to build our church building. You know, so whatever he wants, we have to do. So they go and they plead the case for the centurion. And they tell Jesus that, that this man has a servant who is ill and needs some help. And he really is different from the rest of them. We've heard that attitude before, haven't we? Have you ever heard anyone talk about us and them? I was reminded as I was looking at that, a, um, the story of the movie that was out last year called The Blind Side. And you remember how the friends of the, uh, of the, the uh, couple that adopted the, the big black football player, how they responded to that. Oh, well, it's so nice for you to be helping one of them. And then the real prejudice came out when they hired a tutor for the guy, and they found out that the tutor was a Democrat, and they had to put up with one of them. So the Jewish people are, the religious leaders are struggling with this. But they also sort of tipped their hand a little bit because they revealed their lack of understanding of what it really meant to be worthy of Jesus' attention. They feel perfectly comfortable walking up to Jesus and telling them what they want. They don't see any problem at all with approaching him and saying, here is the need, here is the problem, and you need to go take care of it. We'll get back to that in just a moment. But let's get back to the story itself. Whenever they lay out the problem here, Jesus says, sure, I'll go. And he heads off with all this group of people, his 12 disciples whom he had just appointed, probably a remnant of this crowd that had been out and listened to him before. Hundreds of people, perhaps, I don't know, at least a good-sized group is following along with him, probably also with the religious leaders. And the centurion hears that Jesus is on his way to his house. And he almost, he sounds like he gets all panicky. Hell no, he's coming here to my house. Now, I don't know what he had intended before. I don't know if the Jewish leaders had misrepresented him when they asked Jesus to come to the house. But he panics and he sends some of his friends out and says, wait, 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 wait. I didn't mean for you to come here. I am not worthy enough for you to enter my house. Let's stop again and look at this man, this centurion. You've got to be impressed that he cares this much about a servant. You know, back then, a servant was kind of like an automobile for us. One wears out, you get another one. And yet, this centurion had such a heart for this household servant that he was greatly distressed to the point that he was doing anything that he could to find a way to get this man healed. You also got to be impressed with the man's generosity. He had written a check out, handed it to the Jewish leaders for them to build their synagogue, which kind of tips the hand that obviously this centurion maybe was a lot like a centurion we'll meet in the book of Acts named Cornelius, 
that he was a God-fearer, that he, he had come to learn about the God of Israel, the, the one true God. And even though he wasn't ready to convert totally to the Jewish religion, he still worshiped and respected this God of the universe. So you've got to respect him for that. But also, you've got to be impressed with his understanding of the authority of Jesus. Because when he sends his friends out, he says, tell Jesus this. I get it when it comes to authority. Because I'm a guy that deals with authority on a daily basis. I have people that are over me. I've got people that are under me. I understand what it means to obey, but I also know what it means to give orders. And in fact, he said, I've got such authority that if I tell a soldier, go over there, well, that soldier has to go. If I tell him to come here, he has to come. I have servants in my house. And if I tell a servant, do this, then the servant has to do it because I am the one in authority. And he transferred that understanding of authority over to Jesus and recognized that Jesus was a man with authority. Such great authority that he was an authority over the centurion. Such great authority that he was an authority over the natural elements of this world. Wow. Now, where did this man get this kind of understanding? We don't know. But you got to be amazed and you got to be impressed. But the most impressive thing was his faith that when Jesus spoke something, it would happen. He said, you know, I realize you don't even have to come here, that all you have to do is speak the word, and what you say will be done. Now, I want to tell you, in reading the story of Jesus in the Gospels, we don't come across many people that made Jesus' mouth drop open, but this guy did. This guy amazed Jesus. So much so, he turned to all those people that were with him and said, I haven't met anyone like this. No one in all the nation of Israel has as much faith as this man does. So, two people made great discoveries that day. The centurion was going to go into the room where the sick servant lay and find him well. And Jesus made a great discovery in finding a man who had such faith. Isn't that a nice story? If we stop here, it'll just be a nice story, okay? You want to take a vote? Y'all want to stop in that? Wait a minute, it's almost lunchtime. I better not take that vote. But I don't know that this was meant just to stay here and be a nice story. Because if we really stop and think about this story... It has a bite to it. It has a sting to it. And the way that happens is when we stop and do a way of Bible study that is so uh, insightful, especially for narratives, especially for stories in the Gospels. Where do you fit into this story? Who are you? This is a wonderful way to study the Bible. Whenever you're reading a story about Jesus and he's, he's dealing with other people, after you learn the story and you've got it down in your heart, you stop and say, now, where am I? Who am I in this story? If I were there then, where would I fit in? Well, for me, 
I would fit in with the group that was following Jesus. And I think that most of us would too. Now, I would not elevate myself to uh, one of the 12 apostles. I don't know that I would have quite made that cut. But almost every one of us in this room has made a commitment to be a disciple of Jesus. So it wouldn't have been neat if we were a part of that group that cared enough about Jesus that after he had preached this wonderful sermon, he had gone back into Capernaum, that we had gone with him, and we're standing there as these Jewish officials come forward, and they make their plea on behalf of the Gentile man, and we hear all of that, and we get all excited because now we are going to go with Jesus to watch another healing. Now walk along with him as you're going along in order to go to this centurion's house, and you're going to witness another healing. You probably have already seen some before because you've been following Jesus. You've seen him do miracles. And you feel especially good about this miracle because it's going to be done for one of them. You know, we really feel good about ourselves when we're doing something nice for someone that's not like us. When we're doing something nice for someone that we consider to be in different circumstances than us, or maybe different character than us, we can really sort of get ourselves all worked up and think, oh, wow, look at me. I'm doing something for people like that. So here they go, walking along. We're right with him. We're so excited. We're going to help a Gentile. Isn't that cool? And all of a sudden, Jesus turns and he points his fingers at us and he says, you know who we're going to help? We're going to help a man who has more faith than any one of you. We're going to help a man who understands who I am better than any one of you does. Now, that might be offensive. Stop and say, wait a minute. We're here. We've been following you. We're with you. And we might put up an argument that we understand who Jesus is and we trust in him. But you know what? In the back of our minds, we know good and well he's got us pegged. He understands us. For example... How many of you entered this room to enter into worship with God with any trepidation in your heart at all? How many of you came in here together thinking, wow, we're about to do something that touches the most powerful force in all the universe? We're about to invite into our presence He who is righteous and good and powerful And we are not worthy. We are not worthy to be here. Just like the Jewish authorities just sauntered up to Jesus and started talking to him. While the centurion hung back saying, I can't get too close. We walk into the presence of Jesus and easily give our demands. Tell him what we need, what we want. With often little thought of who he really is, what kind of authority he really has, and what this encounter with him is all about.
I don't know how much I'm like the centurion who got it, who understood it, and was called by Jesus the man who had more faith than anyone else. Because you see, the centurion trusted the unheard word of an unseen man. As far as we know, this centurion never laid eyes on Jesus. And Jesus never laid eyes on him. As far as we know, this centurion never heard the voice of Jesus. But he trusted that when Jesus spoke, things happened. We do not live in an age when we can follow behind the Jesus who walked this earth in his body. We do not live in an age where we can watch him as he reaches out and touches people and heals them. We cannot hear with our ears his voice as he tells us what he wants us to know. But he still speaks. And do we have enough faith to believe what he says? He says, if you come to me, I will cleanse you of your sins. I will make you whole. I will make you a child of my Father. You haven't heard it with your ears. You haven't seen him with your eyes. But do we believe? We have a chance every time we come together to come with the realization that we are entering into the presence of he who has the greatest authority in the world. And he who still speaks, and he who still blesses. The question is, will Jesus turn to the heavenly host today, point at you, and say, that one gets it? Let's stand and sing.